kids, guys. Uh, kids, you guys are dismissed to go with Miss D right here off to Kids Church. How are you guys doing tonight? You look good. You sound great. I was just over there. I was like, man, we got a good crowd tonight. Excited to be here with you guys tonight. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Drew Meyer. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Rim Rock Church. Um, and I get the honor and privilege to come and uh, share with you guys every once in a while. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about this topic that I get to preach on. You know, sometimes you get you look at the list of topics like uh, on the lineup of preaching, and there's just certain ones that always stand out to you and are really exciting. And this is one of them. I was like, yes, I get to. I, I just get really pumped up about this. So um, we've been in this series about. Uh, called Unshakable, talking about 12 undeniable truths out of the Bible. And tonight's the final one. We're we're wrapping it up, and we're starting a new series next week about uh, pursuing God. Um, But we're going to wrap it up tonight in this this series, and I I really feel that this is a great topic to wrap things up on. I think it's, oh, it actually fits in perfectly. I'm really glad that we're doing it like this. Um, But before we get going with that, I I really would want to just take a moment here to to step back, pray, invite God's presence into here tonight. So let's, let's pray. Father. Lord, I, I pray right now just to be a vessel, to be a, just a, a tool that you get to use. Father, I, I pray that none of what I have to say up here is from me because I have nothing to offer. Uh, Father, I, I pray that right, right now that the words that are spoken, that I'm not relying on anything but your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for those that are here that... You can just open up their hearts to this truth. Maybe you convict them with this truth, Father, but may you, be, may you just call them into the freedom that this truth brings and, and just the blessing that it brings. It's, it's so good. It's just so good, Father. So may you just impact us with your truth tonight. May that be heard above all, and may that truth just lead to you being glorified. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I, I've been reading a book lately. Um, yes, I, I read. Um, and, and, you know, maybe some of you are familiar with it. it it's uh, a book written by Jim Collins called Good to Great. It was written probably, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. Pretty well-known book. It was a bestseller for a long time. I'm pretty sure my wife is sick of me reading it because I'm, like, waking her up. I'm like, just listen to this. This is crazy. I keep hearing these, these crazy stories uh, from this book. But the, the premise is basically this. There are, are a lot of these successful companies out there that, that they, this research team looks at. But there are a few of those successful companies that make the jump from a good company to a great company. And there is a difference, right? And, and there was tons of research that, that was put into this book. And, and they found five common things that these great companies did that propelled them from just being a good, successful company to a great company. Thus the name Good to Great. Now, I'm not going to unpack all those today, and it's really not what my sermon's about. But, but one of them really stuck out to me last week when I was reading, and it, and it, because it ties into the topic that, that we're diving into today. And, and that's about the fact that most companies have a purpose, right? You, you can go to almost any company and say, like, what, what's your purpose? What do you do? What's your mission, right? Um, so most companies w- would agree with that, but sometimes that purpose gets diversified enough that what the company or- originally existed for becomes quite ambiguous, right? And sometimes even lost. Like, you can get, they can get to a point where where they're at now is, what they, is, is something they never set out to be. Sometimes that's for the better, sometimes for the worse, 
right? But what happens is when they diversify themselves too much, they try to become a lot for too many things rather than great at a few things or even just one thing. The companies, though, that made the jump from good to great actually did the opposite. They learned to undiversify themselves. In other words, they figured out who they were, and everything they did went into being known for that specific mission. And anything that fell outside of it, they either didn't do, or if they were doing it, they got rid of it. They, they just cut it out. And, and the companies that didn't make that jump often had something called mission drift. Maybe you've heard that term before. There's another great book out there called Mission Drift. Um, but, but it's where they got away from their purpose and they didn't even realize it, right? They're, they didn't even realize that their identity that they have now is so different from the one they started off with. And my message today is going to be on the greatest commandments that Jesus himself gave us. Okay, we find these in the New Testament, the words spoken right out of Jesus' mouth. But what these commandments tell us is one of the unshakable, undeniable truths that we felt necessary to teach you guys in this series. And, and what I was challenged with when I was looking into this is that I believe that far too often, we as the church have suffered from mission drift, from what we are called to do and be from Jesus himself. Right? And I think a good way to examine this is, is not really what we say we are. I think that's, that's very valuable. But I, I think a really good way to examine this is what people on the outside say we are. Like Jim Collins, when he wrote this book, they did all this research, and it, it was a, people from the outside coming and looking at the company and looking to see what they, who they were and what they did. I, I think it's, it, it actually is very valuable to do that. Um, now, it can be dangerous too, right? Oftentimes there are ex experiences and biases that go into people's opinions about everything, especially religion, right? That like gets boosted to the top of that. And I, I don't want to be performance-based in our evaluations necessarily, but I think it is really telling to look at our reputation because it does say, or it does come from somewhere, right? Reputations come from something, for better, for worse, right or wrong. So I got to thinking, if we asked the world around us what Christianity was all about, do you think it would match up with what God's word says we should be all about? Man, I got, God like put that question on my heart, and I was like, oh, that's kind of like shriveled up. I was like, that, that convicted me right there, right? Is the mission that the world says we're on the mission that God says that we should be on? Before we get into what God's word says, because we're going to look at that mission, okay? I want you just to take a second. I want, I want you to really think about the people in your life, specifically those outside of the church, Okay? And I want you to think about what their response would be to the question, based on Christians, what is Christianity all about? Right now, like, think in your head what they would say, and be honest. Being a, a young adults pastor, I work with teenagers, and, and I, I recently asked, preparing for this message, I asked some of these teenagers in our church about this to get a perspective from them and the other teenagers that they are around and interact with on a daily basis, right? Because I think sometimes with teenagers, like, they can be a little dramatic, but it's pretty unfiltered, right? Like, they're, they're very opinionated, and so they're, they're pretty blunt with it a lot of times, right? And, and, and so I, I thought this was, they were a great group to ask on this. But in, so I asked them this, and I had them just think about that, things that they've heard, conversations they've had, and, and they gave me a list, and here's what they said. Based upon Christians, what is Christianity all about? What, and and what, what are their perspectives on it? And here's, here's the list that they gave me. 
Hypocrites? Gets worse. Uh, maybe. Judgmental? Prideful? Delusional? Outdated? Gullible? Rule pushers? Insin- uh, insincere? Uh, goody goodies? You guys heard some of these terms before? Right? Wow. <laughs> what, what a list, right? Doing well? <laughs> you know, it, it, I. You know, I take lists like these with a grain of salt. I really do, okay? Because, because there are always stories behind those type of answers. And, and because of that, maybe it's not always fair. But there are always stories behind those type of, types of answers. Those answers came from somewhere, in other words, right? Somehow, the church has left that type of impression about Christians to many people. Not all. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying, like, guys, we're doing a horrible job. I'm not saying that, right? It, it's not everyone, but many Okay, and the thing is, is that it, we can all understand this. This doesn't even seem that crazy to us, right? Like, we know people in our lives that would say these same things and would probably add some other unkind descriptions uh, to the list as well, right? Like, you probably thought of some answers that I didn't say. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't others out there that would also say some very positive things about Christians and about the church and about Christianity, but, but I think... To the common audience in our culture, outside of the church, this is the reputation we have left them with. This is what our mission has left them with. You think that's fair? Okay. Just, just be honest. Okay, I, uh, this is, I'm kind of good, coming from the, the, this point of view tonight. And, and, and remember, guys, I'm on your team. Like, I, I don't want this to be true. It's not like I'm, I'm really getting behind this truth, right? This is just where, from talking to people and from my own experiences, I, I think this is a reality. I think this is, this is a fair conclusion to, to come to. Now, we all, know, we all know that that's not our mission, what those people are left with, right? To leave these types of impressions on people, that's, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that, that's not our mission, to leave those impressions, right? That should go without saying. What I, th- what I think does need to be said is that we need to evaluate our own hearts and our own actions, and we need to see if what we, what we have had, or if we have had some mission drift in our lives and in our church compared to what Jesus himself call, calls us to do and to be. So much of this might seem out of our control, right? Because, because these opinions don't just come from, from people from Rimrock, right? Or, or about people from Rimrock. I'm sure there's plenty. Like we're, we're, we have flesh too, right? We struggle. Yeah, I mean, there are thousands of other churches out there. But I think taking time to evaluate ourselves is where we can start. And that's where we can learn and grow. And, and that is where we can make sure that we are expressing the heart of our mission into this world correctly. Right? And one of the awesome things about this, though, is that Jesus was asked the, the, a question that deals right with this. Right? He, he was asked... What is the greatest commandment that, that, that has been given in the law? In other words, what is it, what's at the heart of God's law and character that we're called to follow and live out in our lives? What really is the mission of the church? And, and he gave an amazing answer that should cha- uh, really challenge all of us. And we're going to take a look at that tonight. It, it's, it's kind of fun doing this for me because we've been given the gift of God's word, right? And, and this word is so full of, of treasures. Uh, you know, we have stories of heartache, of redemption, um, words of commandments for us to follow, wisdom we should learn, truths that we should accept, and pitfalls that man has fallen into when they reject 
God for the world. We, we are, we're given glimpses of God's character, and we get to hear the very, his very words to us. Right? All of it we can treasure, and, and all of it we can learn from. Ultimately, what the Bible leaves us with is, is a picture of how God is good. We just sang about it. His amazing character, and the story of how you and I can have a relationship with him because he made it so. So out of all that, it's amazing treasure that the Bible is, uh, uh, the law, and, and everything within it. Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Now, to be fair, I know we didn't have all the Bible as it is when, when he was asked this, but I think the heart of it remains the same. So give you a little context, leading up, up to this question, Jesus, he had been teaching people, and, and including some of the religious leaders, on a number of topics, and some pretty controversial topics, right, that, that would really get people riled up, um, and, and the crowds were amazed at what he had been saying, he, he had been teaching on the law, he had been teaching on taxes, that sounds fun, um, on, on all sorts of stuff, right? So we're going to pick up the story right there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. Verse 34, it says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Uh, Book of Mark also adds strength in there. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That's big. This is heavy stuff right here. This is, this is pivotal, right? Now, for those of you that, that don't know me, which I know is a lot of you in this room, but I love sports, all right? Fall is my favorite season of the year because football is finally back on. Uh, but, but I love sports. I love, I love playing them. I love watching them. I officiate high school football on Friday nights uh, in, in the fall. It's just uh, a fun part of my life that I really enjoy. Um, one thing that you often find debated in sports, in the sports world, is, is who's the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. Who's the greatest of all time? They, you, turn on ESPN. They'll, they'll, there's, uh, they'll, they debate it on there all the time, right? It, it's pretty amazing how passionate can, people can get about it too, right? You know, whether it's about the greatest basketball player to ever live, Michael Jordan, or the greatest football player to ever live, Jerry Rice, or the greatest team to ever exist. You know, I'm not biased. I don't have opinions on this. (laughs) But people really get into it, right? This debate of who is the greatest. But it's it's kind of frivolous, and it's, it's kind of silly. Because the fact is, is that there are a lot of greats, right? Like, the fact that we can debate it just tells you there are a lot of greats. And that's a good thing, right? Just because there might be a greatest doesn't mean that the others aren't great as well. And that's kind of what's happening here with this teaching. It isn't that the other laws aren't important or the other, um, other parts of Scripture aren't essential. But this teacher is asking, what is the most important? What is the heart of God's law? Or, or if you're applying it to our lives, what should be at the heart of who we are? If we're going to get one thing, thing right, what should it be? I think it's interesting. Here they all were during this moment of intense teaching and, and probably debate. I'm sure there, was, there were people disagreeing with Jesus. And, and this religious leader, this expert in the law that they were debating, who probably had ulterior motives, to be fair, but he says, wait a minute. 
let's clear all of this out of the way. We're getting, there's a lot going on here, right? And, and let's just get to the heart of, of, of all of this. What is the part of God's law that holds it to, all, all together that without, of it, without it, none of it works? And I think this is so important because we, we can tend to get bogged down with a lot of things in our lives. Do you agree? Where, where the water can get kind of muddy. Like you become so busy with things or you get so, you know, we just get so distracted by so many things. Um, it isn't that those other things that we get bogged down by are bad. But so it, sometimes it's so important to take a step back from time to time to look at the big picture and to get clarity of what, what is really, at, uh, really important at the center of it all. Right, to make sure we don't drift too far away from it. And I, I know for me, like, I like to debate. It's a problem, <laughs> I know. Okay, it, it gets me into a lot of trouble sometimes, especially because it, as a husband, if I want to be happy, I'm just never going to be right. And I've just accepted that, right? But, but it's hard because I like to debate sometimes. And, and so it's, it's like pulling two different directions. But, but, but it gets me into trouble sometimes. But the problem with debating yeah, the, the problem with debating is that it can pull our focus away from the heart of the issue a lot of times, right? And we can get sidetracked so easily. It, do you guys know what I mean? You know, too many times in, in my life I found myself engaging people in spiritual discussions even. Like I'm talking scripture with them or, you know, going over, you know, something that, that has to deal with the Bible or, or our faith or whatever. And, and I get pulled away from the heart of why I should be engaging these people in these discussions in the first place. And I miss the point. And if I miss the point, what am I really doing? Mission drift is a real thing. Guys, I've, I've experienced it in my own life, in my own ministry. So I love the question that was asked. But what I love more is the answer that Jesus gave. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All of them. So let's take a look at these two things. He gave us two commandments. And these are the greatest. The greatest commandments given in Scripture. First one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. And like I, I mentioned, uh, the book of Mark adds in this account the word strength. Okay? This is number one. This is the Mac Daddy of them all. Love God. With everything. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Pretty much covers all of who we are, right? You know, to, to better understand what kind of love this is describing, I, I want to break down each, um, each parts of our, ourselves we're called to love God with. So we're going to take a look at these four words real quick, okay? The first was to love God with your heart, okay? The word heart comes from the Greek word cardia, okay? Everyone say cardia with me. Cardia, awesome, good. You guys are Greek scholars, congratulations. Um, this word cardia can be translated as feelings, but, but feelings that come from the middle of who you are, much like our heart is at the middle, right? E even more than just that definition of the word, it, it's also really important to look at, at how it was used during this time that it was written, right? And, and they didn't fully understand the medical function of a heart back then, other than the fact that when it stopped beating, a person's life ended, right? So, so the use of this word often refers to other things just as it does today, right? We use heart all the time, not actually talking about the thing inside of us pumping blood, right? 
the word heart was used to describe the intangibles that made you human. It wasn't even talking about our physical nature, because even animals and plants have a physical nature, right? But it was talking about what made us human on the inside. And we, can, we find this use in other places in Scripture. One of them is in Psalm 73, um, 26, which talks, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the, sh- is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, our heart is what makes us tick. It's our personality. It's what makes us unique as individuals. It's our emotions and how we choose to act. Therefore, to love God with all of our heart means to love him with our entire individuality. Second uh, thing that says is to love God with your soul. This is part of the gr- other part of the greatest commandment. Love God with your soul. This word soul comes from the Greek word uh, suke, which is translated to as spirit or breath. Okay, the, the idea of breath is closely tied in with God giving life to someone. Scripture, scripture itself is referred to as God breathed. Right? What, what this is saying is that it is living and active because it has been given life and made active by God himself. Genesis 2.7 states, The Lord God formed the, the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his natural, nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Here man did not have life at all until God breathed it into him. Therefore God's breath, which is tied in with the soul, is the source of life for us as humans. There's something else that's pretty cool about this, about this breath, right? Man is more than just dust and physical substance. You and I are more than, than this body this, that we walk in, this earth suit that we're sporting. We're more than our skin, we're more than our muscle, we're more than our bone structure. Man is also spirit. Man is also soul. And not just any spirit or soul, but the spirit and soul given to us by God himself. Jesus tells us to love God with our soul, the very soul that God breathed into us. It's our spirit, our consciousness, the very essence of what makes us a living creation of God. We're supposed to love God with that. Third thing is to love God with your mind. Back to the Greek again. This word mind comes, uh, comes from the Greek word dionia. Or, uh, I'm sorry, di- dianoia. There you go. I can't speak Greek very well. <laughs> it's defined as, as the part of the body that brings about deep thought, imagination, and understanding. Okay, so without our minds, just think of what life would be like. Right? Without our minds, we wouldn't be able to have thoughts about anything. We wouldn't have imagination. We wouldn't have the ability to understand. Think of what your life would be like without those things. Think of what your childhood would be like without having an imagination. Got my four-month-old daughter sitting right there. I can't wait for that when her imagination starts kicking in. Oh, I'm so excited for, about that. It's something that's really alive when you're a kid, and you kind of lose it as you get older. But 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 this this our mind—it's a huge part of who we are. And, and God wants us to embrace our minds, not run away from them. Yes, we live by faith, and, and, and but that faith is not one that doesn't require us to use our minds and to engage the world around us to full, uh, fully and to engage and wrestle with the implications of God's truth in us. Actually, time and time again in Scripture, we're called to seek out knowledge. Like Second Peter just mentions that over and over. Go seek knowledge for all these things, right? Romans 12, 2 calls us to renew our minds, which in context means to, to let God shape our minds, not the world shape our minds. We're called to give over to him this beautiful ability to think and to use that in loving him. The last word is to love God using your strength. 
word strength comes from the Greek word iskis, and it's referring to a person's ability, might, or power. This is how we physically accomplish tasks before us. We're given a lot of ways we can use our strengths and abilities, especially the ones God gives us. So to love God with our strength means to use our gifts for His glory, to make Him, uh, to, I'm sorry, to love Him with our choices, and to love Him by loving others. We're going to get to that. Basically, to sum it up, the greatest commandment is telling us to love God with every ounce that makes us us. Every part that he created us with, to surrender over him, to him and, and to love him with. You know, it's, it's not just some of who we are, but all of it. And guys, loving God, something that this has really taught me is that loving God isn't just something we do, it's something we are. I think that's what this is saying. It's not just something you do. It's every part of you. It's who you are. It's your identity. How are we doing, church? How are you doing at loving God with all the different parts of who you are? With your whole. This is the heart of Scripture. This is the mission right here. Have you drifted? If you have, you know, know that God has lavished his grace on us in such a way that if you have surrendered your life to him, you get the privilege to turn your hearts back to him when mission drift happens. Because he is, he is in the business of redemption, and he knows that loving him with all of these areas of our lives will lead us to the best possible existence and the, the maximum amount of impact that, that we can have in this world. So if there's an area in your life that, that you haven't surrendered over to him, that you aren't loving him with, let God take that and let him transform it. Let him be the potter and let you be the clay. Because I promise you he's willing. I promise you he's willing. If we're going to get something right in our walks with God, this is it. But the greatest commandment, it didn't just stop there. Right? There, there's a second part, part two. It says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Right, so we, we explored lo what loving God with our all really means, and, and now there's a second part to this. Loving others as yourself. You know, and so I, I really started thinking about this, this idea of loving others. And there's, there's so much in scripture that, that describes this. And I couldn't shake but um, finding myself in Romans 12 over and over again when I was looking at this. And in verses 9 through 13, it says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, have that, get that, keep that picture in your mind, what we're called to right there in Romans 12. Now, think back to earlier in the sermon where I shared some of those thoughts on what people in our world think about who Christians really are. Now, tell me. Is this kind of love on that list? Do people see us and think, man, they sure have a sincere love for others? Do they think of us as people who honor others above ourselves? Hmm. Is it possible that some don't because of mission drift? 
I'd venture to say it's hard for us to find this kind of love anywhere in our culture today. And oftentimes, this can include the church. It's not impossible, because I, I do see it among all of you often. I really do. It, it, I, I see it in my teenagers. I see it in the church. I see it in the community. I, I see Christians living out the sincere love. I, I, I really do see the love of God being spread in this way. But in our culture as a whole, I really think this kind of sincere love is rare. Don't you think? I, I think it is because there, there are too many walls of division that exist between people. Right? Politics, social status, different stages of life, trust issues, sin, brokenness. All these things lead to division between people. And one of the lines that stood out to me in this passage in Romans is the command to, to love one another above ourselves. I kept coming back to that one. To honor, to honor one another above ourselves. To honor means to lower yourself and to raise others up. But this is so backwards to what our culture tells us to do. Do you guys agree? Right? For, for us, in our world, it's all about us getting ahead, right? Doing what's best for me, running our own agenda for our own benefit. But Jesus showed us what it meant to honor others above himself. If anyone had the right to raise themselves up and to lower others, it was Jesus. It was the King of Kings. But he showed us a part of what sincere love looks like. What loving your neighbor out of a love for God looks like. And it, and it was on a cross. As his followers, this is the example we're left with. And it's the one we're called to take with us and to live out in our own lives with the people all around us. We are called to love others like this because God loves others like this. So to love God with everything we are is to also love people like God loves them. Going back to that list of how much, how much of the world sees us, I think it shows, if we just took that list, what that list shows is a picture of us on top and others below. But Jesus showed us that to love others like this command tells us to, it should be others on top and us below. Sincere love. Not a fake love, not a manufactured love, not a forced love but a love that is, is, is as sincere and real for us as God's love for us. I can only imagine what kind of impact a love like this would have in our world. You know, we saw it on the cross. We've seen what this love does, right? You have probably seen it multiple times in your own life, what a sincere love does, how powerful it is, how much it's impacted you, what, what that left you with and what that, that led you to be. What if we unleashed that in our own lives and in our own community? What I, what I, found, what I found in working with people that, that have said some of those things that I said on this, that list is, and I mentioned this before, there's always a story. There's always a story that's left them with those impressions. Um, I've gotten a chance to travel a decent amount in my life, and uh, oftentimes it's with my wife, but uh, other times like I've gone to conferences and things and I've gotten to fly on um, like an airplane alone. And I, when, you, when you do that, you sit next to strangers, right? And I'm a very social guy, talkative guy. And so I usually engage the person in a conversation. That's just a part of who I am. And sometimes that's received well. Other times people like just put their headphones on and just like, you know, like kind of give you one word answers and things like that. And you, so you kind of read the, read the person next to you and know how far you should take it. 
But when you do talk to people, especially with guys, it, it's just, I mean, you know, girls will do this too, but with guys, like, one of, what's the first thing you, somebody asks? Like, when, you're t- when you meet somebody for the first time, what do they ask you? What do you do? Right? I always kind of dread that question a little bit because I, as a pastor, I usually get some interesting responses, right? Boomer just preached a few weeks ago, and he, he kind of told a story like this, but it's so true. Like, you tell people you're a pastor, and you get, like, one of a few responses. You, like, either people are like, whoa, okay, cool, and then they, like, pretend you're not there anymore because they don't, they don't know what to do with that, right? And, but, or other times, um, they start asking you all sorts of things that you're really not prepared to answer, right? Like, it's just, they ask you these deep questions that they've been maybe sitting on for years, and you just kind of like, oh, all right, let's, guess we're doing this right here, right? And so, um, but, but it's, it's really cool how God has allowed me, and just a few times, I can really think of a few conversations I've gotten to have with people on airplanes, and, and one specifically, I, I'd gone on a, a missions trip to Ecuador, and, and, and I, flew, I flew back, and my flight got delayed, and all these things, and anyways, I ended up in Denver waiting for a flight, and I got on a flight there, but then that got delayed, and all the while, I was sitting on this plane with this guy who was actually flying up here to, to go to the Air Force Base. He was, he was stationed up there. And it, it was amazing. When I first started talking to him, it was kind of the simple little one-word responses. But as I got talking to him, and uh, it was amazing how he just started opening up to me. And actually, after hours of sitting on a, flight, uh, a plane with him, it was to the point where I was like, okay, I want to take a nap. <laughs> but he was just talking and talking and talking. It was like dramatic difference from the beginning of the conversation. Um, but it was, it was crazy. Like, I just started talking to him and, and, and just being sincere with him. And, and he just opened up like a book. To the point where, I, like I said, I couldn't get him to stop talking, which was so cool. It was so cool. Because people opening up, doesn't happen because we force it out of them, right? That's interrogation, <laughs> okay? It, it, it's sincerity that breaks down walls because walls are, are only there because we, we put them there because we allow them to, to exist. But when we sincerely love like Christ loved, there's no room for those walls to exist. And, and it's hard, it, it, isn't, it isn't hard to be sincere with people. It really isn't. I saw this really cool video the other day. I, I showed it to my students. Um, th- this guy, he was, a, um, he was doing a, like a social experiment in downtown New York in, in Times Square. And this guy, was a, he was an artist. He was a photographer. And, and he did this project where he would take, he kind of set up this, this spot for pictures. And he would take random strangers off the street. And he would say, hey, can you want to be a part of this, this thing? And a lot of people were like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll get my picture taken. And so th- they thought they were just coming to get a picture taken downtown or whatever. But what he did is he partnered up these complete strangers that he intentionally kind of put people that didn't normally probably wouldn't be together together. And he had them get in, like, close, like, brotherly, family-type picture poses, right? Like, so they'd be, like, hugging each other or, like, one, like holding them in their arms or like just like these like really, you know like close pictures that that you would never put those two people in, and like it was amazing to watch the reactions at first. Like when he asked them to do that, the people were like, "Whoa, I don't know," and they were they were really hesitant. And, and I get it, right? We we, we have trust issues. There, there's a million things that you know, can, are barriers between us and other people, and especially the people he was pu- putting together. Like, he was doing, like, different ages and 
um, ethnicities and like just they look different just the way they dressed and things like that. But it was fun. Like he did this photo shoot with them. And over time, it, the time of these photos where they just kind of let those walls break down. They were laughing and hugging and like giving each other their numbers and all these things. And it, it was just such a cool thing that happened when they just said, you know what? This wall exists because we put it there. But if we're sincere with each other, the wall no, is no longer there. The walls disappeared. It's amazing what happens to the walls of division between us when we love sincerely. And, and I believe that the reason that Jesus says that loving your neighbor is like loving God is because loving your neighbor is an overflow of God's love for us. It's a reflection of how Jesus loved us here on earth all the way to the cross. Our mission, according to this teaching by Jesus, is to love. To love God and to love others. To love God with everything we are and to love others as God loves others. Because this is the heart of the law. This is what we should be known for. Even if people don't agree with our beliefs in Jesus, they should be saying, but man, those Christians know how to love sincerely. Man, they know how to love. How you doing, church? I'm convicted by this passage every time I read it. Because I sure do fail at, it, fail at it a lot. I get mission drift way more than I care to admit. But thanks be to God for his grace. And thanks be to a God that this is what he calls us to. He's calling us to love. What greater calling, what greater privilege could we, could we ever want it isn't that he's asking us to do something crazy or hard or difficult or painful or make all these sacrifices or do anything crazy. He's just saying, guys, go and love. Just love me and love others. Because this is what's best for us. And this is what points people to Jesus. And this is what glorifies God. And, and I know keeping this, the focus and mission of the church as a whole it's not just up to us in this room, right? But, it, but, but the first place it has to start is with you. You, you have to have, you have to, you, you, I'm sorry, you have the ability to choose how you're going to love God and how that is going to lead you to love other people in your everyday lives. You have the choice to stay on mission or to get dragged away from it. And I want to challenge each of you. I want to challenge myself to get back to the mission and to love God with everything that we are and to love others and to stop allowing mission drift to pull us away from this glorious, glorious calling that we have as Christ's church. And I just, want, just dream with me for a second. Can you just imagine the impact we would have on this world if we just chose to do these two things? If we were just known for this. Do you realize how far that would take our influence in this world? Do you know, you know how just much that would impact this world for Christ? And do you realize that there's nothing more worth your time and sacrifice than to love God, the author of salvation, with everything you are? It's the greatest calling we can ever have, and we have it. What a mission we've been called to on this earth. I, for one, am so humbled and so grateful that this is the wonderful, amazing calling that each of us have uh, who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior have been called to. Praise be to God.
as we wrap this up, and we wrap up this series on these 12 undeniable truths of Scripture, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be empowered to go into this world with the mission as a church and as, as an individual to simply do this, to love, to love God, to love others. This is the greatest commandment. We're going to wrap up 12 undeniable uh, truths of Scripture. Man, this is a great one to wrap it up on. Love. The greatest commandment is to love. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, I, I uh, it, it blows me away that this is what you call us to do. Father, that you allow us to do this. Father, there's nothing in any of us here on our own that's good that's worthy of this calling to go and love people and to love you and to love others like, like you love them. We're not worthy of that, but you are good and you empower us to do it. You call us to be faithful to that. And Father, what a, what a blessing that is. What, what more worth our time than to give all of our love that we have to you and to let that flow into the people around us. Father, you are so good. You're so, your goodness is unfathomable. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that you call us sons and daughters because, of, because you love us. So, Father, as we go forward in our lives, I, I pray that you just call us time and time again back to this mission. I pray that we come across this passage in our Bible often, and it reminds us this is our mission, to love. May we be convicted by that. Father, I pray right now you put things in our lives right now that we know we're not loving you with, and you call us to repent from those and to turn our hearts over to you, Father. And, Father, I pray right now you convict us right now in our hearts and our minds, people in our lives that we are not loving the way we're called to love. Father, may we change that. May your, your love that comes through your Holy Spirit, through, through your Son, Jesus, may that overflow out of us and may it go into this world that's full of lost and broken and hurting people who have not experienced it, but who are so desperate for it. Father, may, that just, may, may we just not be able to help but to let that love overflow out of us. Father, what a calling. Praise things in Christ's name. Amen.